Welcome back to Building Billions. This interview today was spectacular. And to be honest, it was mostly for me, but we tried to make it about you as well. I am obsessed with finding people who think like I do and who have done great things. And Candy Valentino is the most remarkable example of somebody who started from nothing, somebody who had abuse early on, lived in a trailer park, and she has created so much in such a short period of time by just focusing on a handful of things and the strategies that she talks about. You can tell when somebody's really done something and really created something in their life, and she knows what she's talking about. She is powerful. She is wealthy. She gave me this freaking candle that's so cool. It's called filthy wealthy, but she does it with a purpose and she does it with so much intentionality. I know you're going to enjoy this interview, so let's just get started. So I am beyond excited to have the amazing Candy Valentino here in Scottsdale, Arizona. You're also from Scottsdale, Arizona, so welcome. Thank you. Building Billions is all about people who have big dreams, they have big targets, and they want to make money. So I would love to know, just like starting off the bat strong, when you think about how to make money and you think about your journey with making money and prioritizing that part of your life, how have you managed to do that over your incredible 25-year career in building and scaling businesses? So gosh, I think for anyone listening, the very first important thing you got to know is you have to have belief in the ability. Like you have to have belief in your own ability no matter what, because as you go to start, your idea in its infancy, whether it's to make wealth or whether it's to build a big business or you just want to do something that's never happened in your family before, right? That infant, that little tiny baby infant belief that you have in the beginning, if you share that with too many people, they're going to start to share their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own experiences, their own judgment, and it's going to make you second guess. So one of the interesting things, Sarah Blakely, who's a self-made billionaire, had always said that even when she started Spanx, she didn't tell a soul for the first year because she knew that if she told someone about this idea and they poo-pooed it too long, that she might have not done it. So I think the first is having belief. And then the second is we have proof all around us. Like anyone watching this podcast sees what you've built over these last few years to know what's possible, to see that it's proof that a female or even a guy that's watching like, oh my gosh, you can start from nothing and build this incredible company. So rather than focus on the people that tell you you can't do it, look at the proof all around you of people who have done it and then keep leaning on their experiences until you build your own. So good. So for the people who don't have belief, they're like, listening to the podcast, they're on their drive. I think of myself so many times, like early in my 20s, I would hear these things and I would want to be this person, but I didn't have the belief because I hadn't, I hadn't done it yet. I hadn't created the skills or figured out how to add value. How, what would your advice be to that person that's like, I want it, but I don't actually know that I have the belief yet? Yes. Great, great question. Okay, so two things. One, every single person, and even you, 20-year-old Natalie, 20-year-old Candy, at one point, we accomplished something in our life. We broke through something. Maybe we were bullied, abused, whatever it might have been in your life. You, at one point in your life, thought you were never going to get past this one thing, right? Mm -hmm. So six months ago, 16 months ago, six years ago, there was something going on in your life that you thought, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to figure this out. Whether it's a woman that, you know, had a baby at 19 and is trying to figure out what to do with it, or you're in a relationship that didn't end up the way you wanted it to, we've all accomplished something. So the one thing I would say, take out a sheet of paper. If someone's driving, pause this come back take out a sheet of paper and I want you to sit back and think about all of the things that happened to you in your lifetime as a child as a teenager as a young adult I want you to write all of those down on a sheet of paper the things that you thought were going to cripple you the things that you thought were going to destroy whatever it is you were trying to achieve and look you're still here. None of those things destroyed you. So the next thing you want to do when you doubt that feeling and you doubt that belief, you pull out that list and you remember who the hell you are. Mm, so good. I like want to go do that for myself right now. I'm like, wait, can we pause this real fast? But we won't. So how do you... Wow, I love that. Because I think about that as whenever... I'm faced with a challenge. I remind myself that all I know how to do is flourish and prosper. And that's something that I heard Elena Cardone on the front of a room say once. She's like, I just remind myself, 
all I know how to do is flourish and prosper. Mm -hmm. And so when you're like making that pivot, as you've done so many times Mm -hmm. over the course of 25 years, many (laughs) different career paths. And I want you to talk about the journey. How do you look at those things and then say, I have confidence because of these things, even though I've never done this next thing before, do I, how do I prioritize taking the right step towards this next thing? Cause I still haven't done it yet. So now I have the confidence. I have the belief. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, all I know how to do is flourish and prosper, but I don't know how to do this next thing or where to go for the right information, where to develop my skill set, and how to prioritize the right thing. Do I, do you have any strategies for figuring out which is the most strategic thing to pick right now to gain that skill set that you now have the belief from? Yeah. So first, I think it starts with the confidence. And I think that's why that sheet of paper is so important to start with. Because when you start to identify what you've already done, that you've survived, and that you've figured out, you can start to lean on the confidence that this next thing you're going to figure out too. And so I think confidence, like the opposite of confidence, right, would be insecurity. I think the reason that people are insecure or they doubt themselves is because of comparison. They are comparing, like if I would have walked in here and been like, oh my gosh, Natalie is too beautiful. I cannot do this podcast. We wouldn't have done it. I would have, I would have interacted differently. But because I know that you can fully shine in your strengths and in your gifts and I can shine in mine and they may be different. When we actually walk into the room, the, the room isn't a comparison or split. It's actually lit up brighter because we're there together. So I think it's, it's knowing that and knowing that in your own confidence that you are never going to have it figured out. Like when I have pivoted into different things, I didn't know all that. I was basically starting brand new again into figuring this next thing out, but I was able to lean on my experience that if I was able to start a business at 19 years old in the late 90s when women really our only goal was to be a teacher or a nurse and I was not great with blood. <laughs> so I instead you had one option. I'm like my only option is a teacher and I don't think they get paid very much. So I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do? I want to start a business. Well, I don't have any money. I grew up in a trailer. My dad's a mechanic. My mom cleaned houses. How am I going to get money? I heard about this thing called an SBA loan. At the time, get this, women for only 10 years from the late 80s until the late 90s when I applied for an SBA loan, it was only 10 years that women were allowed to apply for a loan without a man's signature. How insane is that? So I was like, okay, there's this new thing. It's the SBA. They were trying to give women money. So I just happened to be in that small minority group. I pitched in front of a bunch of educated people at St. Vincent College in my hometown, and they picked me. What was your pitch? What was what were you? I had a business plan and a briefcase, and I wore a black suit because you got to look the part, right? So I felt more confident, even though I had no idea what was going on. I did my numbers. I ran the numbers. I had a business plan. I was able to pitch that. They gave me just enough money that I had six-week run rate. And if I didn't figure it out in six weeks, I was going to run out That's of money. Short. That's weeks, short. That's short, right? Time. But when, when you look back, and I think if that 19-year-old kid had the courage and the bravery to go after it anyways, because I had the leverage of not wanting to be poor anymore, what's the 40-something-year-old version of me going to be able to do? And why am I complaining that I don't know this next thing? If she could figure it out, you damn well sure be that I'll figure it out now. So it's leaning on that. I think confidence is leaning on those experiences of what you've accomplished and done to this point, that this next thing is nothing compared to it. And I think any, any parent listening, like the hardest thing you've done is having a kid and raising a child. Like everything beyond that is quite simple. <laughs> so when you put it in perspective, right, it's like building a business is not that difficult. Like you just overcame poverty or overcame abuse or that really difficult situation. Like figuring out wealth is not that difficult. And the only way to learn anything is through our own mistakes or mentors. That's it. And the latter is a lot cheaper and less expensive in order to do that. So look for who you want. Look for the life that you want, the the goal that you want, whatever you want to create. Find someone who's already done it. Model that behavior. And I think that no one's net worth will ever grow past their own knowledge. So you always have to be learning and growing. I'm a product of books literally books because there wasn't back in my day there wasn't the internet and great groups like this that people could come and and learn about business so to me I was really just reading and thankfully in my late 20s there was a group called WPO women's president's organization that you had to be doing two million dollars and I barely got a seat at the table in my 20s and then was just around women 10 15 20 years older than me Mm -hmm. 
and saw how everything I was kind of going through was insignificant in their eyes. So I was able to lean on their experiences when my confidence ended. How did you get them to take you seriously in those conversations? I know sometimes male or female, you get in the room with potential mentors, people that can help you, they have the knowledge and experience, but because you don't have what they have yet. You might have a $2 million business, but they have a $20 million right. business or a $200 million business. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you've done or learned throughout the years to gain buy-in and to get those people to want to spend the time to share their experience with you? So one, listen more than you talk. I think a lot of people, especially when they're maybe starting out or they've just accumulated a little bit, they want to prove that they're worth it and that they know something. So they go in and try to prove that, that, that level of knowledge that they have as opposed to just consume and listen. So I really listened a lot. And then I had a very good friend, Anne Degree, who passed away and she was about 15 years older than I was. And she just said, she's like, you, you have it. She's like, you have all of the raw ability. You just need to know what you're worth. And it hit me so strong because I never really had women in my life like that. Mm -hmm. And so then once I was around a lot of women that realized that we could grow together, we can learn from each other, like we just all really shine brighter because of that. And, and Anne actually lost her life to a cancer battle um, in her 50s. She was really young. And I just feel like she was so unapologetic with who she was, who she wasn't, and being okay with both. Mm -hmm. And I just try to emulate that too, because I think we all need a reflection, right? Like that's why I think we need representation of women in boardrooms. That's why we need representation of women raising capital. That's why we need representation of women building billion dollar businesses. Not because, oh, we want to give them a different chance or a better chance, but when you see somebody else doing it, it's just proof that you can do it too. And so I think the more the world evolves, you know, in this, this whole amazing world with women supporting women more, which wasn't necessarily the case in the late 90s, that I think we're only going to be stronger and building bigger and bigger things. How have you fought that knowing that the environment that you came into this with in the late 90s, that wasn't how women in business treated each other. Sounds like you had a group of women that were supportive or at least one or two women who were supportive. But when you think about today and meeting other women operating, how do you take the bad things that you might have experienced or the lack of inclusion and flip the script to where you don't perpetuate the same things that were done yeah. to you? It's a great question. So I look at it and I think every single person learns one of two ways. They see something that they emulate to be like or they experience something that they don't ever want anyone else to share. And I feel like if humans on earth, business aside, money aside, all the things aside, if we just tried to end people's suffering a little bit more, I think everyone struggles with things. I think everyone's fighting a battle. I think everyone has their own issues. So if we can just be a little kinder and be the person that maybe you didn't have when you were younger. So for me and now my 40s, I try to be that person that I didn't have early on. And I try to be more inclusive and more complimentary. And like, that's why like, it's legit. Like as soon as I saw you, I'm like, it should be illegal to be this beautiful because you are. But I also think that women find that instead of embracing it and celebrating it, they try to compete with it. But that's because they're not comfortable with who they are. And I think when you're more comfortable with who you are, you're able to celebrate other people's gifts. And whether that's just the way they look or how you do with what you do with people and your team. And so I think for me, it's just, I remember how I felt when women would not be so nice to me. And I remembered how I felt when people would really include me. And I can't imagine a life when we just all included people right away. I can't imagine how successful people would be if we didn't have that like comparison and that conflict going on. Totally. Do you think that there is some positive, whether it's women competing against women or women competing against men, are you motivated at all by the competition and have that be a fueling factor, but not in a way that maybe diminishes somebody, but that healthy competition can encourage people in a different way than it's like the carrot versus the stick, right? Some mm -hmm. people are more motivated by the pain or the loss than they are of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Sure. How do you balance that sometimes competition and healthy competition 
can be a beautiful thing and create a good yeah. result. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't really look at it as competition, okay. right? Like I look at it more as if I if I see someone doing something that I love, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Let me try that. But I'm not doing it to try to be better than them. I'm trying to just make myself better than I already am. Mm. So it's like if we can just be two or five percent better than ourselves last year, like imagine what that compounds just like you know, interest on your money. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much like, oh my gosh, Natalie built this $100 million company. I'm going to try to compete with her. It's like, no, that's freaking awesome. And if I want that for my life, now I know that there's proof it's possible and I'm going to go try to do it too. Super but it's cool. a different energy totally. in a sense totally. where it's not a competition. It's like, you know, because I think we learn the most from people who we disagree with not in an echo chamber, mm. in different viewpoints. And mm -hmm. I think that's when we really have next level thinking is when you can have a conversation with someone that you maybe not 100% agree with, but you want to see their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I think in echo chambers, we're only going to just kind of like run around and we're not really going to grow and evolve. Mm. So I love to see people doing different things, even if I don't want to do them. So I think that's for me. Um, it's just the competition angle. I don't even, I don't even ever want that. To me, I just want it to be competing with myself so that I'm a little bit better, mm -hmm. that I learned a little bit more than maybe I had a mistake that I learned from or a failure that I learned from. And now we're just going to go do a little bit better tomorrow. I love that. I'll never forget. I was uh, talking with Megan Kelly for oh, like yeah. 10 minutes. She's, She's so cool and so smart and down to earth. And when we were having this conversation, I asked her, did you ever feel nervous about having this strong point of view, mm -hmm. having the whole world watch you take a stand, your left of center, right of center on mm -hmm. this issue, and then the person that you're interviewing like proves you wrong. Mm -hmm. And her point was, no, I'm never worried about that because if I really believe what Sorry. I'm telling people, if somebody is giving me other information that makes me second guess my information and my conclusion on the situation, then that's actually made me better. I'm not right. so egotistical to think that I'm always right and Megan's perspective is the mm -hmm. right perspective. And I think that that applies in relationships. It applies in leading team members. Yep. It applies with yourself and your own ability to be right, but then to also accept, hey, sometimes I'm wrong. Absolutely. And then what do you do yep. to fix being wrong? And how do you communicate those things? So I'm yep. curious to know if there's any times that you've had where you've maybe thought something was one way, it was black or white, and you took a hard line on the thing and then found out maybe you weren't quite so correct and how you navigate or, or handle the change in communication or the change in your own viewpoint. So I never mind being wrong. Um, because to oh, me, it's so hard. Cause don't you just want to be right? Do you have that I, thing? I, I have do that prefer thing. to be right. Yes. <laughs> I, I do love prefer right. to be right, but I have no problem being wrong. Okay. And I think it's all about who you're talking to. Like if you're genuinely talking to someone that cares about you, mm -hmm. it's, if one person just always tries to be right, it's like, mm -hmm. you can't even have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. So it has to be open dialogue. But when I am wrong to me, I don't look at it as a reflection of me. I think when people have a really hard time with being wrong, it's because they struggle with perfectionism mm. and they so badly want to be perfect. It typically stems from them somehow trying to be acknowledged as a child. So they bring this into their adult life and now they're just trying to be right so that they can be the smart one in the room. The gold right? star. The gold star, the A student, right? And so I think I struggled with that in my 20s okay. a little bit. Uh -huh. um, now I just look at it as, Really? Why do you think, like to me, I'm so interested in unpacking why someone sees differently. And at the end of the conversation, you may not change my opinion, but I at least find it fascinating when somebody disagrees. Mm. And maybe it does change my opinion a little bit. And so I don't necessarily look at failure as something that is wrong or being wrong is, is something that's incorrect. I think it's just an opportunity to learn. And the, the more steps you take, you're going to have more failures. I mean, the best people in baseball still strike out over half of the time. Crazy. So it's crazy to think about, mm -hmm. right? So to me, it's more about making that effort because I would rather have a decision be incorrect than sit in indecision because I'm trying to be right. Mm. So to me, so I'd rather good. I'd rather just make the decision because what you know how it is in business. You make the wrong decision. What do you do? You just adjust. Yeah. You just change directions. You try a different technique. You try a different marketing lever, like whatever it may be. But if you just sit and you wait, you're going to just allow your life to pass you by. So try, do, and then you can always just adjust if it's not the best decision. It almost seems like you have to become this person who's okay with a lot of volume of decision making yes. so that you can hit a home run. Yeah. Well, not a home run 30% of the time. You can hit the ball. I know nothing about I sports. I know, me clearly. either. Okay. That, I shared the only can, thing I knew right there. <laughs> so that you can be successful for a small percentage of those times 
So there's there's that type of person, yeah. but then there's a person who wants it, kind of going back to Natalie in her 20s, person might be listening to this podcast, they want it, but there isn't enough volume in their life, so mm -hmm. their failures seem like it would define them since mm -hmm. they're not, they don't have the flow quite yeah. yet because they haven't started. Yeah. What advice would you give to that person who those decisions seem very public and mm -hmm. would seem very painful because there aren't enough of them yet? Yeah, so we on average make 40 different decisions a day. And I'm not mm. just talking like brush our teeth, like different decisions, like do I drive to work this way? Do I do this today? Do I do this? So on average, our brain is gonna make 40 different decisions. If you can at every single one of those decisions, just pause for one half of one second and allow your, your instinct to override your intellect because our intellect will kick in very quickly mm -hmm. in our subconscious wiring to tell us what to do. If you just pause for a second and say, does this decision take me closer to or further away from the life that I wanna create? And then be okay, have courage and be brave enough to just do whatever it freaking says. Like if the answer is yes, it does it, you have to build that muscle and confidence. Like you have to make those decisions that are gonna take you closer. Otherwise you're gonna wake up one day wondering where your life went and why it's so mediocre because you were so worried about what someone was gonna say on Facebook or social media because of the mistake that you made. Yep. Like to me, there is nobody super successful that would look at somebody starting a business that built the wrong business at the wrong time in the wrong industry and say, you're an idiot. For sure. But your, your neighbor might, who's never done anything, your family might, who's yeah. never done anything, right? And it's not even that they're ill-willed. It's like mm -hmm. people tend to want to keep you safe. So if they had an experience where they lost a lot of money in a business or they never did anything like that before, they, they're just sharing their experiences and their viewpoints. But I think what's so important for people to remember is just one thing. If you don't hear anything else from this podcast, hear this. Every single thing that you think you want for your life is based on your past, your past experience, your past conditioning, your past environment. What you are able to create if you just start to take the steps and, take, and make the reps and build confidence is so much greater than you can even freaking imagine. Like would 20 year old Natalie know that we were doing this right here in this building, in this company, and that you were an owner of this whole thing. Like, she wouldn't even be able to understand it. No, not at all. And if you would have told 19-year-old me that, hey, one day you're going to be writing books and speaking on stages and talking on podcasts with brilliant people, I'd be like, no, I grew up in a trailer. That's not even possible because mm -hmm. our brains can only process what's next. That's why you don't get in your car and Siri spit out 45 turn-by-turn -turn directions. You just need the destination. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about all the steps to get there. Get so clear on what you want to create and care more about your belief and what you want to do than the opinions of others and you can accomplish anything you want in life oh my gosh that was so good you gave me chills <laughs> so good because it's so true it's, it's so true it's and it's difficult though like I really have um such a connection to remembering what that was like yeah and so the person who's stuck in that it's like you just gotta figure out how you can make that first leap so you That's can become right. the person that has all of these decisions and you can fail all the time and get super comfortable with failing. That's right. Because it's just going to be part of the journey. But if you can't get over the first thing, you can't become the, the flow. There. Exactly. Yeah. I would like to switch topics a little sure. bit and talk about money because okay. you know a lot about money. You've made a lot of money. I'm sure you've probably lost money as well. Yes. You've made investments that don't work. So in thinking about how you've framed money making going from living in, and growing up in a trailer park to where you're at financially today mm -hmm. what were those things that you kind of held on to early on that allowed you to have a different money mindset than where you came from yeah so great question so one it's important for everyone to remember that whatever you believe right now about money has either been caught or taught by someone else in your environment so whatever your beliefs are, if you think that people shouldn't want too much money, that they should give their money away, that money doesn't grow on trees, that it's the root of all, whatever it is, if you have never stopped and actually done the work to identify what do I believe about money, don't judge it, just what do I believe about money? And is that serving me for the life that I want to create? If it's not, maybe it's time to just start some new beliefs. So in the book, I actually have a whole quiz that people can ask What is questions. the book? What is the book? <laughs> Wait, we want to know. What is the book? So the name of the book is Wealth Habits, mm -hmm. Six Ordinary Steps That Anybody Can Take to Create Financial Freedom. I didn't bring the book. I should have, but I brought you a candle. But this is a candle <laughs> from the book launch. Yes. yes. 
and it's called Filthy Wealthy. <laughs> like, could this not be more fitting? Okay, go okay, back to talking okay. about the book. So in the book, we ask a quiz and we have people identify, like, what are your current beliefs mm-hmm. about money? And if you've never done the work to just figure out what they are and if they're aligning and helping you get to your goals more quickly, well, it's probably time to change them. So we take you through how to do that. Because what you think in your subconscious, if you've never actually decided that these beliefs aren't serving me to create the life or the business that I want, you need to adopt a new set of beliefs. Mm. And they are not going to be automatic at first. So you have to reprogram your mind. The thing about our brain and all of the research that I did, our brains are not programmed to be successful. Our brains are not programmed for wealth. Mm. They are not programmed for even love. Our brains are programmed to keep us safe. So unless you consciously choose to break that old conditioning and decide that you want to live a little on the edge, that you want to love risk, that you want to adopt a new set of beliefs and that you're going to recite them until they're actually in your core and it's a new belief that's subconscious, you have to do the work. So it may start with something like, I am a money magnet. Money comes to me effortlessly and abundantly from multiple sources on a continual basis. I say that because I say it all the time, right? She's got that down. (laughs) And and another thing is be be cautious of the questions that you're asking. Hmm. So for example, when I start to look at something like a project, I always ask myself if, if if I can't seem to break through or if I'm doing a new renovation or I've got this new investment goal and I can't seem to do it, I always ask myself two things at the at the dead of night. I'll say, Candy, what are you missing? And I'll start to, and if nothing, I will just start to, what are you missing? What are you missing? And then the second question is, how can you make this easier? And I'll just, I'll just, I literally will obsess on that until whatever you believe, God or source or your instinct, for me, it's God. Like I will just, I will obsess on it until I start to hear something inside of me that kind of gives me indication. But when you ask your brain the right questions, your reticulating activating system in your brain, the RAS, will help you sort in all of your experiences and all of the people that you meet. Like, okay, how can I make this easier? Oh, I can partner with this other company. Mm -hmm. Oh, what am I missing? Oh, you know what? You're missing that that employee that you really don't like, that you know isn't doing a great job, that you should probably let go. Like, I'm telling you, my brain has come up with some of this stuff. Like, the thing, it's like the obstacles the way, right? So it's like, what are you missing? And how can I make this easier? And for someone, if maybe you don't have enough fun in your life, you can start to say, how can I make this more fun? Mm. You know, um, what am I going to enjoy about this situation? When I was driving here, I literally was saying, I'm going to love meeting Natalie in, cause we've met, but like yeah. in this environment, we're going to have a great time doing a podcast. And I think we are. I <laughs> right? agree. I like want more. I'm like, wait, there's so many more things we have to talk about. I, I love, so to me, what's coming through with you even asking the question of how can I make this easier? Mm-hmm. You're coming from a place of assuming that it can be easier. Yes. A lot of people assume that the goal has to be hard. Yes, right. And what you're saying is, well, what if you came from a place of this should be easy? Why am I assuming that it has to be hard? It actually could be easier than what I've been doing. That's right. But I'm looking at it through the wrong lens. That's it. I honestly think, like, I I don't want to simplify life, but I think that there's so much complexity and hardship that we put around our goals and the things that we want to create because of our limiting beliefs, because based off of our experiences, if we just ask better questions, we will get a better result. How can I make this easier? How can I make this more fun? It could even just be things like, how can I view money differently? Hmm. Or if I wanted to be a millionaire or a billionaire, how would I have to view money? And then think about that. Who would I need to be around? Mm-hmm. Who would I need to surround myself with? What books would I need to read? And then you just continue. Okay, you want to watch something on Netflix? Does that align with your ultimate goal? Mm. If the answer is no, are you going to be courageous enough to be like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go read this book. Or I'm going to go to this event. Or I'm going to go meet these people. Now, I don't necessarily do that now. I probably have seen more TV in the last four years than I have in 25 years. Good because, for you. Because, you know, now. But in the beginning, I was completely obsessed mm-hmm. I wouldn't I'd never watched a movie I'd never watched a show because I thought that time to me if I can do this for 20 years that was my goal when I started at 19 mm-hmm. if I can do this for 20 years all of the studies back then and I don't know that they've changed much but less than two percent of female founders ever broke a million dollars wow and of that two percent get this gonna blow your mind of that two percent less than 0.5 percent have ever exited their companies one half of 1% of female founded companies. So some people could have been like, okay, yeah, then that, I'm, that's not going to happen for me. I'm not even going to try. Right. But for me, I thought, well, you know what? 2% did it. Why can't I? 
Interesting. And it was the same thing. Remember, we're all, like I shared, we're all based off confidence, off of experience. When I was 15 years old, I wrote down my first set of goals in my life. I heard Tony Robbins on cassette tapes, personal power about goals. I wrote them in my high school cafeteria. Oh my gosh. All these things I wanted to do by the time I was 30, because when you're 15, 30 is old, right? Old. <laughs> oh, so old. And so I wrote all these goals down. And I remember thinking all these things I wanted to do before I turned 30. Mm. I did them all before I turned 33. But the one thing I don't normally share on podcasts is this. What I also wrote down at 15 was my mom had me at 16. And I know how much that limited her life. So I said, you know what, 15 years old, I can't get pregnant. I need to make sure that I stay in school. I need to make sure that I graduated. Nobody in my family had ever graduated. I need to make sure that I do all this stuff so that I can create another life. And being an abuse survivor, I also learned at that same time that only 13% of girls that was a product of a teenage parent, mm -hmm. only 13% of them didn't become a teenage parent themselves. So I had the chance to be an 87% statistic. And at that day, I decided I could be part of the 80%, 87% or I can be part of the 13 so I decided to be part of the 13. So it's not shocking that just four years later when I heard the 2%, I decided to be part of the 2%. Do you see how this stacks? Mm -hmm. If people would just be brave one time in their life mm -hmm. and just go after it all, like I think it should be a crime to not go after what you have on your heart. Like I think, I think it should be illegal, a felony that you have all of this potential and you're doing nothing with it because you're afraid of what your neighbor Joe is gonna say or some dude on the internet you've never even met. They're gonna be miserable anyway. They're gonna be so miserable. Never take advice from somebody that isn't living the life that you wanna live. Mm. And if you just filter through that lens, you'll have such discernment to really go after anything that you want. That is so beautiful. Wow. I, I can't, first of all, like, so many so much respect and kudos for those ability the abilities that you had to make those decisions because now people look at you and just it's a foregone conclusion that you've created and done what you've done but back then whew, there was nobody that was like go candy you got this yeah. candy it was you making those decisions for yourself and i i'm certain as you said whether it's god source whatever people believe in that there's you know just help and support mm -hmm. and things are supposed to happen in some instances the way that they are but yeah for you to say i'm not going to be this statistic and to really educate yourself on what the statistics are that you don't want to be a part of yeah it's just reframing your mindset that you don't have to be part of the majority mm -hmm. you can and it's okay to be part of the minority yeah. if that's really what you want yeah when you think about figuring out what you really want because that's the other piece. It's like so hard. Who decides that? How do you decide that? And what inspiration do you draw to make that determination that you're going to be part of that 2%, that you're going to be part of that 13%? Where would you say people can go or maybe something that you've done successfully that you could share and shed light on for how to make that decision and really feel confident that I'm making the right choice? That's such a great question. You have such great questions. That's so good. Oh, um, so fascinating. It's like I could ask a million questions to you. <laughs> I think that it's important for people to realize that you will never know. Like when I started my first business, okay, so here was me. I didn't want to be poor. That was my driving that was it. That, that was it. It didn't matter what I did. Like when I wrote those goals at 15, it wasn't like, I want to someday write a book and I want to have this big company. And I, no, no, no. The first was just, I knew that I wanted to drive a Mercedes or a BMW. Okay. Like super 15 year old goals, right? Of course. Back where I lived at that time in 1995, when I wrote those goals, I wanted to live in a $300,000 house because that was a big house back Huge. then. I wanted, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to carry a briefcase and I wanted my nameplate on the door. Right. That's it. That's all. That's all that was. Mm -hmm. And so just by seeing those every single day and, and knowing that my brain would just start to help me sort like what would that look like? And being a teacher or a nurse didn't fit those those lanes mm -hmm. like that wasn't part of that. So I was like, OK, I had a scholarship to Ohio State University. I could go to college, but I also realized that if that was going to take X amount of years and I learned that the position I wanted to go to college for only started out at like 32,000, I'm like, that's not going to work because that doesn't align with these other things, right? Mm -hmm. So that those were my driving force, those three things. Now, for someone else, it could be to retire your parents, mm -hmm. to provide for your kids in a way that you didn't have. It could be to travel the world, to have your own jet, like whatever it is for somebody else, that's okay. But for 15-year-old Candy, that was my, that was my guiding light. 
So everything that didn't fit that, I knew it wasn't right. I didn't have the intelligence to understand why it wasn't right, but I just knew in my gut, nope, this wasn't this. Hmm. So I said, okay, what is the fastest thing I can do to start a business? And so it was because I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, what's the fastest thing I can do? So I was naive enough. And I think this is what people need to do to be successful. You have to be naive enough to start anyways. You're not going to have the own, your, all the answers. And clarity only comes from motion. Clarity doesn't come from sitting here going, okay, God, what should I do? Like, you will never get started. You, that's why you have to be okay to fail and to readjust. Like, I had no problem, like we were talking before about my business development group, mm-hmm. that I'm like, hey, guys, love this. This is great, but I'm not doing this past May mm-hmm. because I knew that it just wasn't right for what I had going on. Mm-hmm. I don't look at that as a failure. I just look at that as like, awesome. I did that. I tried that. I met great people. We had a lot of fun doing it. I just know that that's not what I'm going to supposed to do next. Yep. So it's, it's being okay with knowing decisions don't define you. Like you can go out, someone watching could start a business and fail tomorrow. That business failure does not mean you are a failure. It means that maybe it was a bad market, bad decision, bad timing. Maybe you didn't have the resources to get started. So what do you do? Start something else. That doesn't work. Start something else. So I think it's just knowing that when I look back at all of those things that I wanted to do at 15, I wanted to do at 19, I just didn't want to be poor. So I wanted to find the fat, what I call the fastest path to cash. All business owners, the only way you're going to start anything is you got to have sales. You got to be able to sell something. So when people would always say to me when I was 16 years old, oh, I love your makeup. I love your hair. How'd you do it? And I'm like, okay, well, people already say that I can do that. Why don't I just go learn how to do that? In six months, I can have a license and I can start a business. Boom, that's what I did. All because I went to New York one time and I saw a spa that were nowhere else on the East Coast other in, other in New York. And I was like, wow, there's all these great, beautiful women. They're so nice. They're all doing these services. Why can't I start one of those? They did. And boom, that's what I did. So that and was the business that idea. That was the very first that was business. The pitch. That was it. Okay. So I was like, I went to New York. I saw this business. Why, why won't that work in Pennsylvania? Mm. And then they were like, yeah, okay, let's do it. I was the only one on, in the whole area, pretty much I think that whole part of the state and even part of the, the neighboring state. And then it was just like, okay, what do you do? Treat people better. The golden rule. That was literally my my great business culture was the golden rule back I love in the it. day. Because that's I all I had it. to go off of right at 19. It's like treat others better than you would treat yourself. And so I was like, okay, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Got, Got it. it. <laughs> I can <Good>. do this. <laughs> and then as But how simple. I mean, how like, simple, right? Why does it need don't to be overcom- more complicated yeah, than don't that? Don't overcomplicate it. I love that. Like truly anyone listening, you can pretty much get your first one, two, three million without overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. It's, I always call it the, the four-way intersection. What do you know and have experience in? Mm-hmm. What do you know has, that someone has already paid? Because it's really tough to innovate something. Mm-hmm. But you can market better than your competitor. You can provide better service than your competitor. It's really tough to like charter a rover to Pluto or something like Elon, right? But we can market better. We can provide better customer service. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. I was like, okay, this is what I already have expertise in. This is what I know people will buy because they're buying it in New York. Mm -hmm. This is what I know that I think offerings would be based off of that. I didn't recreate anything. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, how do I, what's my differentiator? I'm just going to, I'm going to treat people better than I've ever been treated. And so I started studying the Ritz Carlton when I was 19 of how to provide exceptional customer service. That's it. I always say I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the most connected. I had no money, but I just focused in on treating people better than anybody else in my industry and dominated and from there it was just on and on so from there on and on i like we want to know the story we're hooked (laughs) me and the person who's listening to this right now we are like salivating so you start this business Mm -hmm. you learn these like core principles of sales and marketing Mm -hmm. i'm assuming you had to hire a handful of team members i had seven people the day i opened oh wow okay so then you open with seven people, like seven employees. What happens next? So I open with seven employees. I have the leverage of 45 days. I'm going to run out of money. Okay. Okay. Seven people, grand opening. Back then we're talking yellow pages, newspapers, billboards. There wasn't any digital marketing. Mm-hmm. The beauty though of being 19 was when digital marketing started coming around, a lot of people were older and it took them time to learn digital marketing. Well, I was in my early 20s. So to me, I was like picking this stuff up really quickly. I started adding e-commerce, having a website, was like literally the first on the East Coast, to my knowledge, to be able to do online gift cards. Like we cleaned house. Then by the time I turned 23, all of those 15-year-old goals that I wrote, by the time I was 30, I achieved them all. So now here's the challenge. This was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made because when I turned 23, 
I was making more than anybody I knew. Mm-hmm. I was earning a lot of money. I had the car. I had all those things. The Mercedes or the BMW? I had a BMW. Okay. M3 convertible. I had a BMW too. Yes, that was, they're that so was fun. the goal. <laughs> right? I could not afford an M3. It was a three three series oh yeah those are still super cute but yours is way nicer (laughs) so had all of those things and then it's like oh okay all right awesome check (laughs) check check right and then what unfortunately starts to happen is when you achieve a goal with a lot of leverage and you get to a certain level if you are not continually talking to new people putting yourself in new rooms and raising the ceiling that you just crushed through and showing that there's a whole other level you will stay right where you are. Mm. So for far too many years after that, I was like, yeah, let's just keep growing this. Let's add on. Because in physical location, as you know, like the more square footage you have, the more people you can have, the more services you can provide, the more products you have. So I started manufacturing our own products Mm. from candles to hair products to body care products and kind of developed a brand within a business back before like personal brands were kind of a thing. Added on, expanded, started doing jewelry because again, people were coming in. This is my target audience. I started to really understand what they love, what they're asking us for. I just paid attention, followed the data, mm-hmm. and then gave them what they asked for. Amazing. Then we started opening up kiosks all over the, the East as far as selling these jewelry, doing e commerce when it came out. And then throughout that whole time, I was investing in real estate, which I bought my first property when I was 20. Because wow. I went, before I bought the BMW, I went to buy a Jeep, a brand new Jeep. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that you should not buy depreciating assets. So I literally did not sign on the dotted line and bought a house in foreclosure instead. And once I made $16,000 on that property, I was hooked ever since. So then I was flipping and investing and buying properties from the time I was 20. And I still do it today. Incredible. Well, so, but there's still between there and today. (laughs) It's a lot. There's a lot that's happened. So can you, what happens next? Oh gosh. So when we go way back, I mean, by the time I was 26, we were really rolling. I was really making a lot of income and I really wanted to give back because I felt so grateful to the community that supported my first little business and me. And I mean, we're talking in a time, Natalie, when people would come in and they'd be like, oh, hi, um, where's the owner? You know, and I'm like, it's me, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, hi, because right I'm like 19, 20, 21. I was, think about that. I wasn't even legally able to drink, but I had a business. Like, I remember going to a really fancy black tie adre- event when I was 20, and the executive director was a client, and her husband was like, Candy, what kind of wine can I get you? And I was like, uh, whatever you're getting. And it was the first time in my life I had Merlot. Oh, not good if you don't have a wine palette. Not a great first experience. <laughs> not good. But I tried to like, you know, muscle it right. down. Like I belong here. And uh, so 20, you know, through there, 23, 26, I opened a nonprofit to be able to give back. Um, and we rescue, and we're still, that's still there. Um, we rescue dogs, cats, and rabbits in our adoption center. And then we have a 62-acre farm sanctuary where we rescue cows, pigs, goats, chickens, donkeys, you name it. And we have programs for at-risk youth, kids that are in the foster system, kids that were abused like me that maybe can't develop hope or maybe, you know, has a lot of emotional baggage. We bring them in, tell them the stories of the animals, which foster hope and ends the abuse cycle. So it's kind of a a 360 moment. And so I really went all in on that. I I don't never taken a dime on the organization, bought a building and donated for it to use it. Um, But that really distracted me. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't do it the same way, Mm -hmm. but for years, I really focused on that and went all in on that because I had the teams. I had the, like, I didn't really need to be there as much. Mm -hmm. So I would let everyone run the business and then I was going to get this nonprofit off the ground. So in one way, it's probably the biggest business mistake I made because it distracted me from my goals, Mm -hmm. but it's the best decision I made in my life Mm -hmm. because that organization is going to be there long after I'm gone, still doing good in the world. Um, And I really think at the end of the day, like that's why we are, that's why we're here. Like I think that making the money and building the big businesses and having all of that wealth is so that you can help other people and you can share it with other people and bless other people and and give it to organizations that are doing really good work. So although it might've been the biggest business mistake, I still think that it was truly what was on my heart to do. And it aligned with, does this decision take me closer to the person I wanna become or further away? And the answer was still yes. So I think every action we take doesn't necessarily have an ROI in dollars. It might have an ROI in your heart or ROI in love or R&I in relationship or some other way. But I don't think it always has an ROI on your dollars. And so that was one of those where it wasn't an ROI on my dollars, but it was an ROI on life. Well, and this is at that point, you've 
already built up the reps right. for I have confidence that yes. I'm making the right decisions and know what I need to do. Yeah. So you can go into that, even if it does from a business standpoint or some business advisor comes in and is like, oh, you shouldn't, why are you not focused on the yeah. business? You could make this so much oh, bigger. Natalie, I was in franchise, we were talking about, I was with franchise attorneys at the time. Like mm -hmm. we were talking about franchising. We were going to go all over. We had like another like 13 locations all built out, all of this stuff. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then that building came and it was just like, I'm like, I'm literally what I say, I do. Mm. Everything I say to people, I've actually done it. I would never tell somebody to do something I don't have experience in or knowledge in. It was literally me driving by this building. At that time, I had a big black Escalade and I was driving my big Escalade and I saw that building and it was sitting there for a year. I bought it and sat there for a year and I looked at that building and I was like, oh man, what am I going to do with that building? Like, I got to do something with it. And it was just a gut instinct, like we're talking, mm -hmm. said, put your animal shelter there. And I was like, animal shelter, like I'm, I'm opening 13 more locations. We're doing all of this. It's like not the time. This is not it. Right. And I just felt like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And I literally walked and I'm like, I'm putting an animal shelter in that building. And everyone was like, what do you mean? You have no nonprofit experience. You have no animal experience. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just was naive enough to try yep. because if this other stuff I figured out, if I could figure that out, I can figure this out. And if I can figure that out, then I can figure out how to speak and I can figure out how to write a book in 19 days. And I could figure out like all of these other things, right? If I could do this. So I think that's the important. And then be naive enough to try. Like I did not have a lot of guidance in my life when I was younger. Yep. So I had to really dive deep within me mm. to listen to my instinct and just take the next step because I didn't have someone, yeah, Candy, that's great. It was actually a little bit of the opposite. Like, oh no, you can't do that. Like, what do you mean you're gonna flip this house? Like, no, you can't do that. What experience you have in construction? I'm like, well, someone has experience in construction. I'm just, just gonna use their experience. Talk to them. Talk to them. Can't be that hard. Somebody does it. <laughs> right? I love like the idea of like naive Candy being like, oh, I'll just talk to the construction foreman. It's not that hard. We'll figure it out together. <laughs> that's right. Like, even when I wanted to write a book, I was like, okay, who do I know that's written a book? Yep. And I literally, I called John Gordon. I said, hey, he wrote 14 books at that time. I'm like, I have nine. Well, they gave me like two months, but it really, with all my travel and business stuff, I only had like 19 full days. Why so short? I don't, they wanted to get it out because of the time of year and the end okay. of the year. So I literally got, I, and how about this? Like, this is another thing. I never pitched a book. I never had an agent. I never reached out to a publisher, nothing. I had one conversation that turned into 48 hours later, a direct pitch and an incredible offer for a first time author that was never heard of. And I was, I just, if it's a yes, it's a yes. Like say yes to the opportunity and figure it out later. So I said yes to the opportunity. I can figure that out because if I can crawl out of abuse and, and, and crawl my way out of a trailer and, and figure out how to start a business and figure out how to start a nonprofit and save animals and take care of thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of clients, I think I can figure out how to write a book in 19 days. You got this. Right? So I think when you start with that instead of, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I'm not worthy of this. I'm not prepared. Your brain is going to find all of the reasons why. Like my brain would have told me, you're not educated. You don't have a degree. Who do you think you are writing a book? And that did pop up. It mm -hmm. pops up no matter what. Like even 25 years in, I still think like, oh my gosh, can I do this? And then boom, I think about all the things I did. Mm -hmm. So I think it's understanding anyone that's listening or watching. You, that feeling will never go away. It won't unless you stop doing big things. If you are growing, if you are stretching, if you are wanting to go to another level, that feeling will always be there. As confident as Natalie is today from 20-year-old Natalie, when you go to do your first billion, it's going to creep back up. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, can I? What? What? Mm -hmm. And then you just remember, wait a minute, I did this, I did this, I did this. Hell yeah, I can do that too. Do you keep your list updated of the things that you I do? do. So when you it's like, another big thing, yeah. yes. Yes, That's I do. so smart. It's yes. like a, a story of your life and the yeses, the noes, yeah. but the things that build confidence. I've never thought about it like that. And just make radical yeses. Like mm -hmm. make, commit yourself to doing something that makes your higher self show up. Mm -hmm. And so writing the second book, even so I'm like, yeah, okay, can I write a second book and have a show and do it? Yeah, yes, yes. Because I did that book in 19 days, right? So why can't I do this one with a longer timeline? Yep. And that one hit, you know, top three Wall Street Journal. So why wouldn't they? So it's just, it's just remembering all of those data points. I always say business is about data and numbers. Mm -hmm. So are your goals. Whatever your life goals are that you want to achieve is about data and numbers. So review the data. Because until you have, to your point, the life experience in your 20s, you have to use somebody else's data. 
once you have the data, you use your own data. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, you use somebody else's data and that's the proof that's all around you. Yeah, because you don't have it. You don't have it yet. So speaking of the book, what is your favorite thing or like the gem that you think in like 90 seconds, I would want everybody to know this piece of information because it's helped me, it's changed me and contributed to my success. I think it goes to what that beautiful question was that you asked me in the beginning. If people haven't stopped to really look at their beliefs about money, like if you're listening now and you were like, oh wait, I don't think I've ever done that in my life, Mm -hmm. that alone is massive value in the book because it'll at least open your mind to what you currently believe Mm -hmm. and if it's serving you. And then I would say that based on, then also um, it's definitely for entrepreneurs because that's my journey. So I do talk about how to make more, keep more, Um, of your money because it's not just what you make it's also what you keep so we talk about how to reduce your taxable income how to invest your money out of your business how to increase your profitability so that you can create an additional asset because your business is only one asset Mm -hmm. you got to be able to keep that massively profitable so you can pull cash out and invest it into other assets so that you can have a diversified portfolio so i talk about that in there so any business owner if you get that that first section i don't know what chapter it is but that first section about the money mindset piece and you read the three business chapters and nothing else it'll it'll pay dividends so where can they find it so anywhere books are sold amazon barnes and noble or of course all things at candyvalentino.com beautiful and where can they find you they're like now that they've been introduced to this blonde bombshell (laughs) that has more smarts and more like genuine just care and attention Mm -hmm. to uh, i feel like people like you just have a connection with the relationships that i've seen you build how we even got introduced originally for somebody who has all of this and there's so much more on social and every place else that you produce content, where is the best place for people to find you, connect with TikTok, you? TikTok, Instagram. All Your TikTok. Places. TikTok. Actually, I haven't posted a TikTok in a year. Because Why of has all it the, been so long? The, all the security reasons. We uh-huh. were like, so I have friend, like friends in the military. There was a lot of concern. So I like pulled off. Okay. And then it seems like the concerns went away. So we're going to start posting again. Because by the end of the you year. were going gangbusters Gang. on it was TikTok. Insane. That's literally how this whole thing started. Like the whole, the speaking, the book, everything was in 2022 or 2020, late of 2021. Uh-huh. Everyone's like, you should do TikTok. I'm like, who wants to hear my, because my stuff in business isn't like the raw, raw, sexy stuff. It's yeah. like, know your numbers, run your data, know your KPIs. I'm like, nobody wants to hear my business stuff. And so I just popped up a business tax tip. And within five days, it had over a million and a half views and like 50,000. I'm like, what do you even do with this now? So then it's like, you know how it is. It's a machine. You have to keep pumping out content. Yep. So that's kind of how the whole thing started was lovely old TikTok. Fascinating. I didn't know yeah. that either. Well, thank the Lord for TikTok. You know, <laughs> TikTok can be a, a source of hate, but it can also yes. be a source of people be creating good side. <laughs> great content. Yeah, be good people. But she is obviously a great person. So TikTok, you're going to start Instagram. ramping up. Instagram, yes. those are your favorite yes. too? Yes. Yep. Beautiful. Well, with that, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you and the example. And we are all going to follow along for, you guys heard her talk about, she just like casually dropped like book number two and television show. She just (laughs) dropped that in there. So there are huge things to come on her her horizon and we are excited to support you and look forward to cheering you on in that process. Well, thank you for having me. I love you guys. I love everything that you're doing here and anyone watching come work with Cardone Ventures, one of the few people in the space that actually know what they're doing. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.